Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys, and babies. Let's make it rain. Hello, hello, and welcome back to The Princess and the Bee. Today, I am so excited to have this guest on simply because I've been getting a lot of questions as to how to do what she gets people to do on certain stages. And how do you get onto these stages? And what is the mythical, magical world of TEDx? So today I have on Andrea Olson. She is a TEDx curator, speaker coach, and event consultant to help other TEDx organizers organize their events. She is the the founder, the founder, correct, Andrea? Yes. TEDx. She is the founder of TEDx Davenport. So Andrea, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really pumped to be here. I am so excited. What inspired me to invite Andrea on was I am, as many of you know, I have like, when I set a goal, I'm like, yes, this is happening. I'm going to figure out every which way that I can make this happen. This is going to happen. And one of my goals is to have a TEDx talk. And I was fortunate enough to be speaking at an event in Iowa. And I was connected with Andrea through Michelle and, and from anime, uh, from not Anna Museum. Well, that was the event that I was speaking at, but the um, the Putnam. And so she introduced me to Andrea, and we just had the most fantastic, information-rich conversation about what TEDx is, how to give a TED Talk. And I was like, my listeners, I know you love standing out, and I know for many of you, having a TED Talk is your dream. So let's dive in, shall we, Andrea? Yes, let's get to it. So first of all, what got you into to the world of TEDx and why did you want to create TEDx events? You know, you know, TED is something that, of course, as many other people do, have followed for a long time. And it was one of those things where you could see in our community this is something we needed. And it was a discussion, right? You know, over the period of a couple of years, it's like, why don't, why don't we have TED here in our region and it's that that moment where you kind of go wait a second there's no one else stepping up and there's no one that you need to ask permission from you just need to step up and make it happen and so uh back in 2017 we just said yeah why not let's do it we want it here so let's be the ones to own it and bring it here andrea i love your tenacity it's like that, that get up and go of like, no one needs to give you permission, just get started. Right. Is right. so freaking powerful. So can you tell me a little bit about what is a TEDx idea? What makes a TED talk different than any other speech or motivational or inspirational speech? Well, you know, a, a little bit of 
quick clarification just for the listeners. You know, there's there's TED Talks and there's TEDx Talks. And fundamentally, they are really no different. The only difference is that TEDx are locally organized and curated talks. The TED Talks are more of a global talk that are organized by actually, you know, the TED powers that be. And they only have about three of those a year um, geared to different audiences and, of course, in many different locations. So a lot of people that say they want to do a TED Talk, the best way to start is to actually do a TEDx Talk because I'm sure everyone has seen a really popular TEDx Talk that's actually highlighted on the TED website. Yes. So how do you get a a TED Talk? X talk that's highlighted on the TED website. What makes those specific ones stand out? You know, there's a couple elements to that. You know, one of course is popularity. And a lot of that is simply driven by the traffic and the views that that talk gets. Once you start surpassing 50,000, 100,000, 500,000, Uh, a million views, it's going to become something that's on Ted's radar, right? And they have a series of editors and curators that, that look over all the TEDx talks from across the globe. And if there's something that's getting traction, something that they feel is resonating, something that's unique and different and an important idea that's worth sharing, they might choose to elevate that. Uh, otherwise, it's really about the quality of content and that idea that you have shared. So how do you give a really powerful TED Talk? Like I know some of the ones that have dramatically impacted me, like Brene Brown and Simon Sinek and like so many that just, that just are super powerful. So how do you give like the best one that gets a million views. I mean, I know that you can't determine that it'll get a million views ahead of time, but how do you really give, how do you give the best one? How do you prepare that, that big idea? That is, that is a huge, big loaded question, but I will try to break it down uh, as simply as possible. And in a way that everybody can, can truly understand. So there's kind of the Ted guidelines on what makes a good talk. And then there's what we've seen as curators that make a good talk. So You know, when you start with talking about just simply what is TED looking for, what are TEDx organizers looking for, the first and foremost thing is that they're focused on finding one idea worth spreading. And this is usually the biggest challenge with any and every applicant is that their their submission, their concept is not one single idea. It's a theme, it's a category. Or, or it's something that is so broad, it doesn't really have that fine point to it. So it's about finding something you're particularly passionate about and focus on one very singular idea and craft an entire talk around something small. And that's the trick. I mean, if you think you're taking examples of Brene uh, and Simon Sinek, right? He, his principle was um, the golden circle, right? This, this why, have a purpose. That was it. Everything else in his talk simply supported that one very, very small focused idea. And that's critically important to to just even simply get on the TED stage. I think the second thing that happens, and and this is a big thing that TED looks for, is that these, these talks are not a lecture. They're not a motivational speech. 
they're not solely a personal story. Now, obviously, everyone that we speak with can find some example of that saying, but so-and-so had a talk and it was a personal story. At its core, there is an idea within it. And the personal story just supported and illustrated that idea. Because really, they can have elements of personal story and motivation, but TED Talks are idea-centric, right? An idea is, is this very focused thing. And that's where a lot of people get tripped up. We get a lot of applicants that are, I'm a motivational speaker. I've given 10,000 speeches before. Uh, I've gotten great reviews. People are really passionate. But this is so different. You have approximately, and really the sweet spot typically is about eight to 12 minutes. So let's split that and say 10. So you have 10 minutes to focus on a single idea and illustrate that in a way where the audience who might not know anything about it, right? Keep in mind, you have a very broad set of people. You don't know all any of their backgrounds. How to get them from, I understand what you're saying, to I have internalized and interpreted what you're saying. So that's really important. The third thing is that Ted wants you to be somebody who walks the walk, right? You aren't just somebody who takes an idea that you think is going to sell, that you think is going to get a million views and try to pitch it. They want some connection between that idea and you. This doesn't mean you need a long list of credentials. It doesn't mean that you have to be an expert. There's only certain cases like in the areas of, let's say, medicine, where if you're wading into areas that are you know, very specific, you do have to have some credibility and credentials there. But if you have a passion, it really doesn't matter what your pedigree is, right? Because they're looking for speakers that don't just talk the talk, they truly walk the walk. I love that passion over pedigree. Yes. Like, I just want to like, have that bumper sticker to cross like America is just right. passion over pedigree. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the other things that Ted looks for is, you know, and, and if you think about the talks that you like, it's, you know, they, they give the audience a reason to care, right? They tell a story, they illustrate things in a way that in your mind's eye, you can see it, right? It's about how that idea is packaged and presented. It's not simply this kind of verbose, um, you know, pulpit soapbox thing. It is really translating that passion from you in a genuine way to your audience. And at the end, you also give them a solution, right? It's not just, you know, we need to, to improve X, Y, Z, but this is how we can do it. This is how I think we can do it. This is how I've seen it done. You know, something along those lines where it's actionable. It's not just walk, getting people on a high and walking away with, now I have awareness of a problem. That's not their focus. And stories are a big part of that. Most TED Talks that have stories, people are very interested in and they do watch a lot. That can be a personal story. That can be a story that you've researched and, and something that you, you feel is most relevant to what supports your idea. But it just starts to give that concept of visual. And then, as you know, you know, it's simple, it's clear, it's conversational, right? Mm -hmm. You know, of course, all, you know, TED speakers have to have their talks memorized, right? They need to exa know exactly what they're saying. And really at the end of the day, TED wants you to say, I'm here to give the audience something. 
this platform is not about self-promotion. It's about selflessness. It's about truly taking that idea you're passionate about, sharing it with the audience and hoping to make significant change, whether that be changing hearts and minds, whether that be changing an, an issue that uh, you see in the world. That's what they want. And it doesn't matter the subject. So that's kind of what Ted is looking for in a speaker. Now, I would say the other things that maybe they don't specifically state that are critically important is that many applicants we receive have this very self-centered approach. And you, a little rule of thumb that, that I've picked up on is in an application, whether it's a video submission, an audio submission, uh, or a written submission, is how many times do they say the word I or me? Because the principle is about sharing an idea. It's about the audience. It's a gift. So it's not so much about you. It doesn't mean you can't use an example of your own experience, but how do you want to shape that? You know, it's not about this self-centeredness, but it's about this selflessness. I loved that from our conversation that we had off the podcast. And tell me why it is that that it's not stories from your perspective. Because I, 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 what you said when we had our conversation prior was so powerful mm -hmm. um, as to why it's not stories, it's ideas. Right. Because at the end of the day with stories, think about it in, in the most simplistic terms. You have a wonderful story. Uh, it could be someone went through uh, this strife in their family and overcame this huge obstacle, let's say, right? And it's a fascinating, compelling story. And at the end, it's so what? So what? You have to have something to give the audience. That story can frame up whatever your idea is. And think about that idea is, you know, it could be anything you want it to be, but the story supports the idea. It's not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said um, in our in our pre uh, chat that we'd had before was that everyone has a story that can top yours. <laughs> like it, it, and it made me think of um, the episode in Modern Family when the gay couple were trying to get their daughter into preschool mm -hmm. and they thought, oh, well, uh, you know, we'll play the gay card and we'll play, you know, our daughter's Vietnamese and she's adopted. <laughs> yeah. And then another, a, a lesbian couple comes in and one's right. in, in a wheelchair. And so he, they're like, oh man, we got, they beat us with, with the, the level of, of stories. So it's like, I love the fact that everyone can kind of top your story of strife. There's somebody out there who's had it worse than you. Right. And um, I, you know, I hate to say it and you know, it's true. I mean, the, the, the challenges, we get tons of applications. I think this year we were pushing 200 and you know, there's some heart wrenching stories, but then the next one's worse or the next, next one's different or the next one's actually pretty much the same. So on one hand, yes, it, you might think your story, is so unique, but fundamentally it very well is unlikely that it is. And second, it's, it goes back to the, so what, what are you giving the audience? Is this an opportunity for you 
to just simply pontificate about your own experiences and get it off your chest as a cathartic exercise? Or are you truly there to help the audience look at something in a different way? You know, it's not about, let's say, uh, mental health awareness, right? You know, you have this compelling story about a family member who had mental illness, yada, 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 yada. We should focus more on mental illness. Great, but that's a so what, right? You can Google that. You can find tons of resources out there who deal with mental health. We know that mental health is an issue. What's your unique idea about it? Do we need to approach it a different way? Do we need to think about it a different way? Do we need to um, you know, treat it a different way? That's what Ted's looking for. And those are all such powerful questions to ask yourself about your own story. Because what is, what is the lesson? Like, I do believe that every experience you have is a powerful learning lesson to cultivate one or two or three or 50 really big ideas that you can leave the planet with yep. that, that can bless other people but they have to be framed as an idea from the lesson and the experiences and not just the, like what you said, the catharsis of sharing the story. Right, right. Because then, and it goes back to a little bit of what you were, a question you asked earlier about, you know, how do I get uh, a TED talk that gets a million views? At the end of the day, that shouldn't be the objective. The objective should be about the idea that you're passionate about, right? If it happens to fall in a category where there's a lot of other people in the world that care about that idea, wonderful. But on the other end of the spectrum, if you reach 5,000 people, 1,000 people that see your talk and you have impacted their lives in a positive way, isn't that success? And that's the thing. There's a difference between doing it in a way that's for the greater good and in a way that's doing it for your own personal gain. Andrea, that, oh, it's like mic drop right there. That goes to the core of something that I have taught my students and my clients for a long, for like at least a year or two. I had one client who constantly downplayed having only 200 people that were following her on social media. And she was like, oh, but I only have 200 people. I'm like, have you ever been in a room with 200 people? Yeah. Have you ever been in a room with 5,000 people? Sometimes we get caught up in the numbers of, of what influencers have, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. And these numbers versus really looking at the numbers of like, if you are able to touch 5,000 lives or even heck, 200 lives with an idea or a concept that really shifts their perspective, the world wins. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's the thing. It's like, are you doing it for the really genuine purposes? Because all of that will come. People see genuineness. They see through, you know, self-aggrandizing activities. And that will come through so much on the TEDx stage because you have such a concentrated amount of time. You don't have that luxury to, you know, self-aggrandize. So mm -hmm. the bottom line is, is that if you want to do a TED Talk, do it because you're doing it on a subject and an idea that maybe you think is crazy, 
but it doesn't matter because you're passionate about it. Amen. So just to shift from, from shaping the idea, when you're looking to give your TED Talk, let's say you are accepted, how do you give your best TED Talk and how do you coach your clients so that they really deliver when they're up on that stage? So, you know, we go through a very rigorous process. I mean, it's a series of, you know, conference calls. It's, you know, doing video recordings. It's reviewing those recordings. It's looking through detailed scripts. Um, you know, every, every person's different. They'll come along that process at a different rate. But it's something that is going to take probably 10 times the amount of time you think it will to be totally honest, because you think, hey, 10 minutes, I can do this, no big deal. It is the exact opposite. And usually when we start the coaching process, someone has an idea. I think there was uh, one gentleman recently that we were coaching and he was doing a talk on um, sustain, sustainable wood. And I'd say, I don't wanna say eco-friendly harvesting of wood for musical instruments. Okay. And so you think, okay, great. That sounds like a great TED talk. Wonderful idea. Okay. But when you start that conversation and said, okay, what's your one idea? He was like, well, there's the whole um, environment angle and, you know, the trees getting cut down and, you know, how wood is tracked. Then there's, you know, the other piece I want to talk about, which is um, how musicians need to look at their actual instruments and that the different types of woods create different sounds unique to that individual instrument based on the tree and the age of the tree. And then there was a third idea that was more about um, how we actually kind of recycle and, and reuse musical instruments. So it's like, okay, that's all great. That's three different talks. You have yeah. to bring it down to one idea. And it's, you know, and that's just a, a, a broad and generic example of how just sustainability, as you can tell, is such a broad idea. It's the, what do you want people to know and how do you want their behavior to change? And how do you want their thinking to change about one thing? And that's the incredibly hard part is you spend a bulk of the time helping people narrow, really, really narrow to that one idea. There are other TED programs, TEDx programs specifically, that are a lot harsher than that. You know, we feel like part of our job is education and helping people understand the process. There are others that really kind of expect you to do the legwork on your own, watch TED videos and instructional videos, read the TED book, take the TED masterclass, um, you know, look at other TED talks and have that already out of the gate, right? And they will reject you based on the fact that you didn't do your homework. Mm. So, I mean, it's, it's different with every TEDx event because every curator is different. Yeah. Just like every audience is different and every, every speaking event is different. And I, I love the fact that you bring to light and the, the difference between TEDx Davenport and other TEDx curators who have different perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, when going in to craft that idea, 
is that what is do you have a framework that you generally put your clients through to get them to harness and narrow into that one idea yes and no uh we do in the sense of you know there's a lot of those in-depth conversations and saying and, and letting them kind of reiterate what their original concept was and actually just that natural bounce off of this is what i'm hearing right i'm hearing two different ideas. I'm hearing three different ideas. I'm hearing kind of a, just a bunch of stuff and not really even an idea. And the challenge is that it, this is a very unique coaching situation because these are all very personal, right? It's your idea. It's not mine. And so I can't tell you what that idea needs to be. It has to come from you. It has to come from a genuine place in your heart and your mind. And so what we do is do a lot of guidance. We do a lot of refinement. We also help people really just sharpen that pencil and get it down. But it is a lot of emotional and introspective work on their part to truly figure out what they want to say. What are some of the big ideas um, from TEDx talks that you've hosted that have really personally impacted you? You know, there's... I can tell you one off the top of my head because it was a very interesting talk. Um, there's a gal named Sarah Stevens uh, who wanted to talk about body positivity. And she, you know, really talked about her journey and the fact that we need to think about body, po body positivity in a different way. And it wasn't so much about, you know, um, making it simply acceptable, right? And being more open and friendly to, to larger body people. It was, a way to think about it that you change your own internal perspective okay so that was kind of her unique idea and i'm i'm generalizing it here for, yeah. for discussion's sake but she so go watch it <laughs> you should because she wanted to make this talk impactful and she wanted to walk the walk right we talked about that earlier she wanted to walk the walk and at the end of her talk as she's closing and i think her talks maybe about 12 minutes or so she's talking and she starts undressing and she's a large woman and she just took off her dress and just was like, this is, this is what it means to own, like own it yourself. Right. And that was kind of her point. Like, it's not about external acceptance, about changing your mentality to have this internal acceptance and to yes. really just do it in front of hundreds of people, which is now online, which is thousands and thousands of people right in per in perpetuity she's there you know completely undressed wow that is bold i like her <laughs> yeah. oh my god you love her. i like her yeah so i mean it's like that type of situation where it's like yeah that makes it stand out that makes it different that that her act wasn't just for shock and awe it supported her point mm-hmm powerful powerful so looking at those ideas if you were to craft what is it what is the best way in your experience to craft a story around the idea but have it be the balance how many eyes if you were to count is it like an 80 20 pareto principle sort of thing no no i feel you there you know think about it it has to be true to the story Right. So I recently actually gave uh, my first TEDx talk 
Congratulations. Uh, thank you, because as a, as a curator, you can't, you of course can't speak at your own events, right? Um, and so it was a partnership with uh, another up and coming TEDx event and uh, it was a great opportunity and I was so honored to be selected. And I thought about my subject and I could think of tons of stories in my own life that I felt supported my idea. The challenge was there were some that were a lot weaker. And I was at first thinking, well, I don't wanna lose this opportunity to highlight my knowledge experience, my firsthand experience in this arena. But on the other hand, it was like, are, the, are these ideas and stories true to what I'm trying to convey? And I ended up using basically two core stories. And one was about uh, an 18th century physician. And another one was about uh, an experience I had. But I started it off with just saying, generally speaking, uh, here's an experience I had. And that was the only time I ever said I. One, just to kick it off. Then it was about the story, right? And you can talk about experiences without saying I. You just don't want to come off in a way that is, you know, self-centered, right? It's, have I phrased each and every sentence of this talk and strategically, strategically selected each and every word to reinforce my idea? And it is at that detail level that you have to go. That I would read through each sentence and go, I don't like this word. I don't like, it doesn't say what I want it to say. Or is this word necessary? Or it trips over the word behind it, right? And so I, you have to think about all of that flow in addition to just what you're trying to share. I love the intentionality behind that. Um, many of my clients know that going into this next decade as we enter 2020, uh, my big word for this next decade is intentional. Mm. And looking at being intentional with communication, how do you think TEDx has a ripple effect on the intentionality of how we communicate. Oh gosh, you know, just going through that exercise and building that focus and intentionality on one idea makes you look at every other thing you do, the communications you have with others and go, oh my God, I, am I really droning on? Is this about me? Or I'm really focused on intentionally helping that other person understand what I'm trying to communicate. It's that mental shift between being selfish and selfless, right? It's about moving the conversation forward in an effective and efficient way. And it doesn't matter what the medium, right? So it could be email, it could be phone, it could be video chat, it doesn't matter. It makes you think about how many times you've talked too much, almost to just make yourself feel more confident or feel more uh, like more of an expert or whatever your intention was and not really about communicating what you need to effectively. And how do you think that enhances leaders? You know, I, I would say if, if we could, every leader should go through this exercise 
it doesn't matter about having a TED talk checked off your bucket list, but it's about trying to take something that you know is big and behemoth and really boil it down to its core, whether that's a company presentation, uh, you know, whether that's something for the board of directors that you're, that you have to communicate, going through that really refinement period, because everybody knows it's easy to write, you know, 30 pages of garbage, but it's really hard to write one really compelling sentence. And that's the principle. Brevity is a skill and it is a practice for me, for sure. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. And I love the fact that you were so specific when you were crafting your own TED Talk about the language that you use. Um, I am a linguistic nerd. Uh, and what, what language do you really, I mean, other than the word I, do you really gravitate toward when, when helping your clients and, and TEDx speakers create these, these works of art? You know, I'd say the, the key, because everyone has a different speaking style. So mm -hmm. you don't want to squash that person's style. You know, maybe they're a little more quiet. Someone else might be a bit more verbose, you know, that you want to keep because that's genuine to them. But the one thing you do want to make sure is to just cut off and cut out the verbal diarrhea. It happens all the time, especially with someone telling a story. They go off into five or six rabbit holes of unrelated anecdotal pieces that they're emotionally recalling in their mind because they were there that have nothing to do with their idea. It's all noise. And so it's about helping them cut those things out that they're emotionally attached to, you know? They tell a story about something, they say, oh, but this happened too. Yeah, but that doesn't matter to your idea, to your message. And sometimes that's really hard to let go. How do you use, um, how do you use or how do you teach coach around influence and persuasion because ideally with giving a TEDx talk you're looking to persuade people into buying into this idea it's it's like a a sales conversation in in some way to sell the idea itself what well, are, in 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 my opinion um if if you agree with that like let me know if you don't totally fine um but yeah, what, what, do you, how, what skills of persuading people, in what skills of influence or tools or frameworks do you use in order to help them persuade more in, in giving this talk? You know, and that's, that's the one thing, I think you're hitting on something incredibly important. People get so caught up in the persuasion element right? Mm -hmm. And they feel like there has to be something in the talk that is either so emotionally compelling or just clearly pointed or something that's just aggressive that helps the audience understand. But think of it like a movie. There's a lot of things that aren't explicitly stated in a movie, but as you watch the movie, you pick up on those silent cues right? Part of its yeah. body language, maybe part of its context. Okay. And so I'd say 
The goal is to not get hung up on the persuasion piece. Think about any subject you're passionate about, whether you know anything about it or not. And then think about sitting at the bar, having a beer with your friend who's also passionate about it. And as you sit and talk with them, how do you react? How is your body language? How is your voice? What words do you use? That passion is there. That persuasion is there. We've all had to persuade. We've had to persuade our children. We've had to persuade our spouses. We have to persuade our boss. We all persuade. It's the genuineness of your passion about that idea that makes that persuasion 10 hundred times more powerful. And so it's about being true to your own voice and not trying to say, hey, I want to make a talk like Simon Sinek, or I want to make a talk like Brene Brown. You're not either of those people. You are you. And don't think that you are lesser just because you're not them, right? Because I'm sure they looked to somebody else and said, I wish I was Steve Jobs, or I wish I was Bill Gates, right? Mm -hmm. They just were who they were they knew their subject, they were passionate about it, and they had one really distinct idea. That is so powerful about just the, the level that, that passion and, and vulnerability to, to a degree, not overly emotionalizing um, through story, but, but the passion comes through. And I think passion can be vulnerable when it's ideas. One of my favorite um, lessons in persuasion was from Dean Graziosi, who's done like billions in sales. And, And he said the two things you need are just authenticity and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And when you bring that to the table, persuasion will come through. But I do also believe that so often we're used to, like, there's a difference between being vulnerable and to persuade and being vulnerable for self, self-effacing purposes. Right. And could you go into a little bit of, of what is the difference? For sure. I think that vulnerability, you know, it is, can swing too wide. You know, there's vulnerability as in I'm a victim. Mm -hmm. And then there's vulnerability as in non-confrontational, non-aggressive, approachable, right? You know, it's a word that I think has a lot of different meanings to people and can be a little bit confusing and misinterpreted. I would say that the more applicable way to focus on what behaviors help persuade, it's, I'd say, transparency. You know, it's being, as I said, it's being you. You don't have this guise, you don't have this cloud, you don't have this shroud over you. You're showing, and it's in a sense vulnerability, right? Maybe you don't feel vulnerable, right? But you're being transparent. You have this genuineness about you that people go, they're not putting on a facade. If you think about Brene Brown, I bet you you would feel like if I went and had uh, a Coke with her, that she would be the same person. Yep. That's that's that difference. That's the magic difference. Oh, I love that. And especially um, 
just when you're able to meet your your mentors that have done extraordinary things and you realize that they're they're human too and that they they when they when they are the same not all of them sometimes sometimes there's that you know 20 percent that aren't the same on stage as they are off but when you meet the ones who really are genuine who do have that transparency who do have that vulnerability and they are the same in every area of their life it is like gold right right that's that's the difference that is the significant difference between just being persuasive like i, I used car salesmen and oh, then this yeah. genuine transparency this authenticity that that people crave because you know what you're going to get you feel like you know what you're going to get you feel like you have a connection with somebody in a way even though you just listened to them for 10 minutes right literally that's all you did but you have this deeper connection. Mm. So did you always want to facilitate the events like this and, and coach and speak? Was this always your dream? Oh gosh, no. It was just kind of, it kind of organically came about, you know, it's, it's like one of those things where you start doing something and if you get better at it and then you see that you can help other people, then just do it. Uh, so, you know, as we've gone through the last three years of working with tons of different speakers and having them go through that process, and it's like, wow, you know, I think we can add value. You know, we, I think we can help people be better TED presenters. And, you know, again, not every TEDx organization spends that time. You know, there's a need in the market, and it's something that we can do to give back to the TED community and of course, a ton of regional communities across the country. So logistically, people can apply to TEDx Davenport or TEDx Wichita or TEDx whatever, no matter where they are. Uh, what are the logistics around the application process um, and, and to the point where you're actually on the, the stage? I mean, I know you said it takes for what you do with TEDx Davenport, you take a lot more time cultivating your speakers and like nurturing their their one big idea mm-hmm. versus some others. But what does your process look like? What what is the time frame and and where do candidates submit from? Do they submit from like Timbuktu and or from they where? Do. I, I mean, not really? exactly Timbuktu, but yeah, I mean, you know, Albuquerque. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, that um you know we get we get applications from australia germany canada i mean all over because you can apply to any tedx event that that you so choose our process from soup to nuts is about a year so you know once we wrap up an event within 30 days we're starting on the next one uh we usually have about a three month window for speaker applications to come in and then we go through all of those and make selections. So then once the selections are made, that coaching and development process is about six to eight months. And what is the investment for speakers who want to come on board uh, and, and speak and give their TEDx talk once you're selected? So, you know, as, as you well know, um, you know, TED speakers, even on the national stage or local TEDx speakers, um, 
you know, nobody can be compensated based on the rules. We're not allowed to compensate any presenter uh, really pretty much in any way for being on stage. Now, given that if somebody needs uh, a travel stipend, uh, they need assistance with, you know, back and forths or hotel stay, uh, all TEDx events uh, are allowed to do that. So from an investment perspective, if, you know, it's something that's within driving distance from where you're at, you know, your cost is pretty much nothing. That's amazing. And you work with your, your speakers for that 10 month period? Oh, yes. That's incredible value. That's incredible value. Andrea, I'm blown away. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got, at the very least, there's once a month coaching call. Usually that becomes two, uh, at least in the early stages. And then as things formulate, sometimes those speakers have longer periods of time where they're focusing on refinement and memorization, which then, of course, you know, they, they kind of hunker down and keep their head down for a while and then pop up when they're ready. Awesome. And then you just host the event and it just, you, you knock it out of the park. Yep. So we just hold the event. I think our, our 2020 event uh, is at a, a larger venue. It's at a 2200 seat venue. So we're looking forward to kind of having this pretty big blowout for that, that program. And it's going to be stacked. I think we've got about 18, 19 speakers this year. Well done. That's so fantastic. So what are you most looking forward to in the next decade? Ooh, in what area? (laughs) (laughs) In any area, totally open-ended. Oh gosh. You know, that's, that's a fascinating question because I, I guess I don't look that far ahead. You know, I I don't want to say I'm a live in the moment person But I would say that, you know, this is the here and now, and I try to maximize every minute and moment of that time as best I can, whether that's doing a project, getting something done, making something happen, uh, or even sitting just watching Netflix and doing nothing all day. I think that's an accomplishment in and of itself. So I think that, you know, 10 years, I would want to say that if this, if our TEDx event, TEDx Davenport can grow to, you know, be something that's more in the, you know, 5,000 attendees or, or more where we could get, you know, a stadium full, we could make some really unknown names, names. I think that would be just incredibly fulfilling. I look forward to seeing you do that and to being a part of it, ideally. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yes, 100%. So let's dive into a little bit of rapid fire, just for funsies. Okay. Ready? Sure. Who is your favorite female character in a movie and why? Oh, gosh. That, that's actually really hard. You know, in a movie, I would probably have to say that... I don't see a lot of movies, but, you know, if I had to pick, and it's something that, you know, is uh, really totally off the cuff here, I kind of like the the chicks that are badass, you know, it's kind of that little ego bo- booster. Yeah. Um, so, you know, on one hand, I think 
there's great characters like uh, the favorite uh which had um rachel vice in it was like this kind of you know amazing complex you know you think she's vindictive and then it kind of turns out she did have well intentions that i think is just a fascinating thing but then on the other end of the spectrum i would say like laura croft from tomb raider yeah come and you know kick butt so that's really hard i'd say i think maybe it all depends on mood that's what i was for halloween i was laura croft (laughs) (laughs) yep (laughs) kick butt um if you were queen of a country what would be your prime focus Mm. economic stability and i mean that in in a way where there are not these polar ends of the spectrum that it's not that you can't have incredibly wealthy people or incredibly or people at the other end but that how can we make the economy and the cost of living such that everyone can thrive and their own rate and at their own level and aren't losing simply due to monetary reasons. And you say that be, you know, living in Davenport, I think I, I'm in LA, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, like prices here are so much cheaper. I mean, Boy, are they. Oh, God. Boy, are they. Yeah. I was looking at houses uh, for real estate investment properties and holy moly, I was oh, like, yeah. oh, what you can get for 200 grand. That's, oh, that's you can get acres and, and a gorgeous, you know, 5,000 square foot home if you want. Yep. So what would you consider to be your kingdom? My kingdom? Yes. I don't think I have a kingdom. I would say that, you know, I... I I think that I am kind of part of a world and that I get the luxury and pleasure of moving in and out of other people's worlds. And that my world is kind of like the, the dark matter that lives between the stars, right? And I'm content there. I love that. If your palace had a swear jar, how much money would you have to put in it daily? Oh. How much would you charge yourself? <laughs> Uh, it would be at least a year's salary. <laughs> you were so well mannered on the podcast. So, what woman would you want to trade places with just for a day? Just for a day? Oh, Michelle Obama. That's like the big answer. Yeah, <laughs> I had a given. You know, well, I think she meets so many people, and it's just I just would love to kind of be in her head, you know, and see the way she thinks really more than the experience of being Michelle Obama. I almost kind of don't care about that. It's, I want to understand how she thinks and processes and analyzes and sees things. That would be fascinating to me. And the perspectives that she holds. Mm -hmm. I love that. What message do you want to share with the world? Um, you know, I guess if I had to narrow it down, I would say I find it funny how we have so many self-imposed requirements and rules and deadlines and goals and things we need to accomplish and stress out about them. And 
almost undermine ourselves in this pursuit for those goals. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm not goal oriented, but I think my message would be, if you're setting those milestones for yourself, you have complete control over them. You can change them, you can move them, you can shape them. And nobody else, no entity out there is keeping score. It just because you're not here and someone else is maybe further along doesn't mean you're lesser or you didn't get it done. It just means you're at a different point in that process. And to self-flagellate and to cut yourself down is really illogical when it's all completely up to you. There's nobody else making that happen on your behalf. I am cheering so hard right now. So hard. I love that message. Lastly, how do you crown yourself? Crown myself? Whatever um, that means to you. I would say that it's all about little things. And it's, it, I, it's mini crowns, right? Little baby crowns, right? Every day, do something that makes yourself proud and do something that would make your family proud. Every day, just those two things. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be, hey, I you know, got this room painted and it's been on the list for a long time. Wait, when, crown, that's okay. Because that perpetuates. And once you start building your self-esteem, these big audacious goals seem more achievable and you're less impatient, right? Because every day you do something that makes yourself proud and something else that would make your family proud. I love that answer so much. My husband and I have, at the end of the day, we have a ritual where we will share with each other our three achievements for that day that we are very proud of. And oh, nice. Yeah, and sometimes it's like just, I was there for my son when he, you know, tripped and fell and cried. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's an achievement in itself. And sometimes it it's a, a big sale or, you know, booking a big stage, or it can be something that's so beautiful and tiny, but in, in the, in the spectrum of infinity, like it's all tiny. Right. Right. Because I mean, if we think about it, it's like, you know, if you're on your deathbed, you know, don't you want to sit and look back and go, I did everything I wanted to do. That was reasonable, right? You know, that I really felt like I could do. I didn't just walk away from things that were scary or intimidating. But on the other hand, just because I didn't become a, you know, multi-platinum platinum recording artist, does that mean that I failed? No, it didn't. Were you happy with what you're doing? And it kind of goes back to that TED Talk principle, right? It's about having something you're passionate about and that their premise is as a speaker, you're giving to the audience and asking for nothing in return. And every day, whether you go to work or you're looking to grow or you're looking to accomplish something, do it because you really want to do it. Not because you think that is going to give you some magic blessing from anonymous people because that's never going to get you anything at the end of the day. It's not going to get you where you want to be. Uh, like, mic drop. There we go. 
Uh, Andrea, where can we find you? How can our audience members apply to work uh, to, to give a TEDx Davenport talk? And by the way, Davenport, Iowa is beautiful. I was went there and I was blessed to go there and I was so surprised and blown away and holy moly, there are some really foodie centric restaurants there that are just fabulous. So like I, Davenport is awesome in my book. So where I mean, can we find it's you? It's just a wonderful, like cool river town with all this old architecture. I mean, there's, there's very few places in the United States that still have some of these old buildings from even the 1800s. So it's like this new and old mixed together, young and old mixed together with just the beautiful Mississippi as a backdrop. Yeah, it's really beautiful. So I believe we can find you at tedxdavenport.com and your social media handle is tedxdavenport. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a masterclass in curating a TED Talk. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crown yourself now or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.